Welcome to the Make One Day Happen podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Jean. This podcast is designed to inspire, educate, and empower people to elevate their consciousness and activate their full potential. We share stories, ideas, and resources that support our listeners in their personal and professional growth by hosting meaningful conversations that spark aha moments. Laughing, learning, leveling up, all guaranteed. We'll be hearing from innovative thought leaders, CEOs, professional athletes, best-selling authors, musicians, and more as they share lessons they've learned along the way and ideas that can change the world. A great podcast doesn't happen without a great team, and we're proud to partner with Lost Range CBD and The Plug Agency to bring this show to life. So pull up a seat and let's get to it. Let me jump in here real quick to let y'all know I have a lot to tell you about very soon. I am bursting at the seams and also still pulling together the final pieces for a retreat, a book, a brand new way to be in community and work together. November will be a month to remember friends, so stay tuned. In the meantime, I've got a little present for you. As a thank you for listening and being on this journey with me to celebrate this latest kick-ass episode, I'd love to gift you a free 10-minute sound journey, a little something-something I'm calling a take 10. In this 10-minute experience that blends breathwork and guided visualization with the vibes of the crystal singing bowls, you're going to regulate your nervous system, you'll practice dropping into lower brainwave states for deeper connection to your intuition and subconscious, and you'll experience productive rest and recovery at a cellular level in your mind, your body, and your spirit. My favorite way to use this is in the middle of my workday to break things up and just give myself a little bit of a recharge. So grab a pair of headphones and take 10 to plug back in and find your elevated self. Click on the link in the show notes and go ahead and get you some. Now let's get back to this kick-ass episode. You guys, welcome to the Make One Day Happen podcast. My guest today is Brian Johnson, aka BJ the Dreamer. <laughs> BJ is a lot of things, you guys. He is a best-selling author, an inspirational speaker, a red carpet host, and a producer for the greatest late night segment of all time, aka James Corden's Carpool Karaoke, just to name a few. And I am so stoked to have him on season one. Really excited for him to be here. We met about a year ago in San Diego at a Brendan Burchard conference. And we sat down next to each other, realized we both got the memo and we're wearing camo pants. So <laughs> we we formed a camo squad. And are you wearing your camo today, Brian? I have, yeah. my, I have my camo mask. Your yeah. camo mask. I have my okay, camo great. mask. Yeah, I have my camo mask today. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Um, well, welcome. Thank you so much again for being here today. Um, yeah. Why don't you start off by giving the listeners a sense of who you are and telling us your story? Well, first and foremost, I just want to say to you, thank you so much for creating this platform. You know, I think uh, a lot of individuals and those that are listening, some people who have never entered into this space, they never really truly understand what it takes to do a show, to host a show, to produce a show, to book talent. You got to edit the show. You got to research and find information. So the fact of the matter that you are doing something like this and creating and building something uh, is really monumental. So kudos to you. I think that's really, really important. I want to make sure I acknowledge that and start this off in gratitude because I really do um, appreciate individuals like yourself. So first things first, that's what that is. Oh, um, thank you. Um, secondly, you know, for me, when you read my bio, it's not a true description of who I am because every day things are changing, day, things are evolving. These are some of the highlights and things that I've done. And I'm, I'm grateful for some of the, you know, a lot of the things that I've done. And, and, and if you look at my bio, you're like, who, who is this guy? What does he really do? Because I'm kind of all over the place. And I see myself more as a 
a Renaissance person and a person that's always like seeking to immerse myself into the different verticals of life that I feel connected and drawn to, to, you know, from a creative standpoint, but more, um, I'm just really on this path to inspire the world more. And so if you're going to inspire people, you need to inspire yourself first. Like, I feel like that's the first step. So a lot of the things that I'm doing has been prep work, so to speak, as I'm getting ready to launch my own show, it's called The Daily Inspiration. And, you know, when you see me in Hollywood and you see me on the red carpet or you see me with this celebrity or you see me on this show, a lot of that has been because I've been behind the scenes strategically for the last eight years, learning, building relationships, developing skill, like really honing in of how do you produce a television show? What is the monetary aspects of this to to really, really build a foundation because the daily inspiration is going to be that thing that I release and, you know, a show that we put out on a daily basis to inspire people from, you know, the different uh, areas of personal development, health and wellness, entrepreneurship and business, just your everyday practical topics to help you live a more inspired life. So that's who I am in a nutshell. You know, I'm a country boy. I'm from Skipperville, Alabama, population of 600 with a caution light and you know, a rooster that woke me up every morning at 6 a.m. Um, wow. And so I just... 600 uh, people. That's not a whole... I had more in my graduating high school class. Oh, we only had 52. Wow. I had, yeah, close to 1,000 in my graduating class in Oak Park. Yeah, 52. <laughs> crazy. Crazy. So that's who I am. I can go on and on, but I want to make sure I respect the fact that I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of questions. So I'll leave that for that. Well... You talk about your story a lot in your book, twenty your 2014 book, Live Your Dreams Out Loud. And I think it would be great for the listeners to understand kind of how you got to this, this track in life. Like where, you know, what was what was the journey that that led you to becoming a motivational thought leader in this space? Well, it just didn't start in 2014. It definitely, um, you know, my great grandparents who were born in 1916 and 1918, you know, I was a product of a single parent household. And so they were very instrumental in raising me. And what I saw at a young age was, although we didn't have a lot of money, we, we, we served a lot and we helped and we gave. And, you know, my great grandparents or my aunts or my uncles or my mother would like always go to people's houses and just sit there and talk to them or just people would come and it like sit on the porch and it would be like a therapy session. And like, you know, if somebody passed away in the community, you like go and give stuff and like give your time. And so I think that fundamentally like made me want to just serve humanity. Right. So I've, I've tried to get and dissect like the core of why I am the way that I am and why do I like to give so much. And I think it really started there throughout sports. I played basketball was my life. It was my therapy, essentially not having a dad in the household like I turned to that. So, you know, my cousins who were you know, selling drugs and stuff like that. Like they wouldn't allow me to get, get caught up in that. Number one, they were afraid of my mom. Number two, <laughs> they wanted me to be the athlete and not go down that path. You know, I mean, as a young African-American black child growing up and not having a lot, um, it can be easily to turn to the streets, you know, and, and, and these streets were not like, they're different. I'm in Alabama, it's very country, but it's still like a sense of, uh, you know, things that you could turn to to get you off track. So basketball was my therapy. It was my way out. And I've always loved motivating people. I've always loved inspiring people. I was always the class president, student government president, always captain of the sports team, quarterback, 
Like I was always in those leadership roles. So after college, I took that good job. I took the good job out of college. Like I went and chased the money. I worked for Philip Morris for six months, um, the tobacco company. And it was, um, it was the best decision for that ever happened to me. It wasn't the worst decision. It was the best decision because it gave me an insight that I did not want to be working for anybody for the rest of my life. I knew that. And um, that put me on this path. It put me on this journey to really seek and find who I was. And so I just started taking risk and investing into different things that I felt were natural. And that began the process of me getting to that point where I realized that I had something unique that I needed to tap into and a gift that most people um, recognize and always said to me. So I got really curious about it. And that sent me down a path of really just understanding and discovering more about personal development. And uh, that began that journey. Amazing. So originally from Alabama, Mm -hmm. now in LA. Mm -hmm. From LA to LA. We say lower Alabama to Los Angeles. So LA to Ah. LA. Okay. 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 Um, I love that. Um, well, so you're an inspiration guru. So let's, let's dig in there. It's 2020 been quite a year and a lot of folks are understandably having a tough time just seeing past the hardship we've been handed, you know, for context for the listeners, we're actually recording this on November 5th. So we still don't officially have a president (laughs) there's, or know who's going to be a president, I guess I should say. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in, in our collective energy right now. And staying inspired is, is hard for people. Um, so, so let's talk about, you know, sustaining inspiration when the world is melting down. Like what, let's just start there. Mm. Sustaining inspiration when the world is melting down. Ooh, very open-ended, very, um, very tough. We can go a lot of different ways. Is in order for me to guide the conversation and facilitate this in the right way, is there any word, anything more specific that you want me to kind of harp on? You know, I think what you know, you and I have talked about this before. Just as um, as people who are a bit naturally more positive, see things through a different light, um, have have a bit of natural inspiration for us and knowing that like, that's not the reality for, for everyone. Actually there was, Oh, you probably would have seen this in the, um, in the post game after in one of the nuggets Lakers recent series, they had Chuck D on there and they were interviewing Chuck and he was talking about being a mentor and like where he's at in this phase in his life. Did you see this interview? No, I didn't. Um, he, he's talking about how he's really in this phase of mentoring, passing down the knowledge that was given to him and, and one of the things that he said is stuck with me. I've got, I keep looking over my shoulder because it's on my little quote board right now. If you've got the light, you got to spread the light. Yeah, I love that. And um, I think in a time right now where it's just fucking tough out there, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people are struggling to find inspiration, keep inspiration, sustain through what we're this, you know, this limbo that we're currently in right now. And so I think maybe talking about, maybe some of the tougher times in your life where you've had to really dig deep for it and what that process looked like and maybe sharing some ideas on how others can do the same for themselves right now. Yeah. So I think, of course, this year is unprecedented. Like the things that we've witnessed and experienced this year, we've never witnessed. Well, I'm not going to say we've never witnessed because if I go back to the sixties and fifties and what was transpiring then, but what I'll say present day, 
Um, we haven't seen anything like this, and it's been very tough from the inception of Kobe Bryant passing away to, uh, you know, uh, George Floyd to a global pandemic to civil unrest to, you know, this election that has got people, you know, so scattered uh, mentally and, and, and thrown people into a funk. That's a lot to unpack, you know, in a year and COVID cases are back on the rise again. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden there's, there's so much going on. The challenge here is that individuals like myself, you can't necessarily just address something on the surface level. Like you can't just tell people to like, you know, it's gonna be okay. Like, no, 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 that's not really the best thing to do. I think the best thing to do in my opinion is we have to encourage people to go look within and like really ask themselves, how are you responding to this? And if you're responding to this in a way where it's creating a lot of worrying, a lot of stress, then we need to dial back and fundamentally get to that place of understanding. You have a responsibility and you owe it to yourself not to allow certain things to derail you. Easier said than done, right? But I think you have to get to the core fundamental understanding of who you are, why you're here. And when you begin to assess those things, I think the worldly things that are going on, those things become less meaningful, so to speak. You know what I mean? The stresses of the world. The, the impact of them doesn't land as hard. Absolutely. Because it's, it's not fair for me to sit here and say, listen, like I don't allow these things to get to me because I've been doing the work for the last 15 years. I've been mm-hmm. studying personal development. So when situations do arise, I have a system, you know, that I that I actually go back to. And so if I feel the stress of life coming onto me, I'm like, oh, uh, uh-uh, nope, I am not going to allow that to happen. I am going to go to my system and my processes and things that I do, whether it be meditation, whether it be working out, whether that be serving and helping somebody, whether that be going on a mini adventure, whether that be taking a different ride home, whether that be going to go paint to find some sort of creation, whether it's something that completely takes me out of my current state so that I'm not allowing all of that to consume me. So I think we just have to get to the core and create more of a system about and understand who we are and put things in place. Like I said, I can't just necessarily say and tell people like you need to go find some inspiration. You need to go find some motivation or some encouragement. It's been a heavy year. It's been a tough year. But I think my advice to people always was at the beginning of this, this is the time to go inward. I think you need to go inward. And people like what does inward really mean? This is the time where you really need to peel back disassociate yourself with the noise and start asking yourself some questions. And those questions are, who am I? What matters to me the most? What am I doing on this earth to contribute and help humanity? You know, am I really taking care of myself? How's my relationship with my friends and my family? Like just some simple, basic things to really get back to the core of of who you are as a human being. And I think that's really important. Mm. Mm. I love that because it's right. It's not a a one size fits all inspiration prescription at all. And having that, that toolkit, that, that thing that you dip into mine, solo dance parties. Like that's (laughs) like one of the things like if I like getting in my head, I'm like, all right, like throw some, my neighbors must fucking hate me (laughs) 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 because um, my speakers are not quiet and I don't care. Yeah, you gotta you gotta find the things that that light you up and that 
gets you out of your head, gets you into your body. And you do, you, you have to dig deep. You have to ask yourself some questions and be willing to look at the answers and maybe not like what you find, but also like accept what you find. Like there's this compassion to find for yourself and recognize that we're all human. We all have shit and we can all grow and learn something new and move forward from that. Are you, uh, are you having to take the Swift parties over there? Is that what it is? Um, you know, her last album, have you listened to her last album yet? I haven't listened to her last album yet. No, I haven't. Um, it's ridiculous. A, the way she just like, I mean, she, she kind of did like a sneaky lemonade situation on us mm-hmm. and just dropped it straight out of nowhere, right, out yeah, of right. nowhere. And it's, um, it's an alternative album. Right. So again, she's really pushing, pushing the, the limits on what people think of her as, um, you know, kind of the box that people put her in as far as what she's capable of musically. And um, she's got some incredible collabs on there. And I say all this to say it's not the best for solo dance parties. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what my favorite <laughs> Taylor album was. It was TS uh, 1989. Oh, so good. I think that's the so best. good. Yeah, that's so good. I really love Reputation, though, too. Okay. I can dig that. I do have, I don't know, have I sent this to you yet? My Yay Vute playlist? Nope. But I Did I tell you about this? Nope, you didn't. Okay, this might be the best playlist I've ever made. It's called Yay Vute because I am a big believer you can be fans of both. And it's literally, we get this, it is literally a playlist where they battle. I take a song from each of their albums and like go back and forth on it. And it's so good. It goes through their entire discography and even throws in some collabs. And there's also, if you're paying attention, um, there's a little bit of a storyline going through just like the titles of the songs when you look through the tracks. It's two plus hours of, you gotta send nothing it. but <laughs> the, yeah. nothing but Kanye and Taylor that I will absolutely send. You and maybe send we'll even link in the show notes. So That's, that should be commercialized. I think more people <laughs> I mean seriously, like that should be commercialized. More people should know about that. Uh well, I will let you point me in a direction because that's kind of like your wheelhouse over there. Quick Taylor Swift story. So 2014, I uh our Hall show that I was working on, it ended. And so I was working on my book, getting ready to release my book. And I was driving Uber at the time. I needed some cash, I was driving Uber. And um, I picked up Taylor Swift's publicist and he got in the car and we had the longest conversation to the airport at like five o'clock in the morning. He gave me um, um, some merch and like CD, like this was before 1989 dropped. Was it 2014, 2015? Something it like that. It was 2014. Yeah. yeah. 2014. Yeah. So he gave it to me before it dropped. Like, he's like, here, take this. Like, you've been such the greatest person. And so um, there was other conversations and things that I can't really discuss, but it was just, it was great. It was the biggest, like, crazy surprise. Like, he's, yeah, I'm on my way to, like, I think the album was getting ready to come out. And he was on his way to start, you know, the whole uh, media thing. And so, um, yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> um, so, question, do you still have his number? And can we yeah. get Taylor Swift on season two? <laughs> That would be, I think, my all-time, my all-time podcast guest. If T Swift, if you are ever listening, I would be so honored. I think people like you would be the better interviews that she could ever have because you're a true fan. And not only just a true fan, you're a person that's articulate enough and and um you can have this conversation with her. You can have the right conversation. You're seasoned enough, you're well versed enough, you're not just a fan. You're a fan that has some substance that can ask her the questions that most people would never be able to ask, no matter how much you produce her. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you would be able to ask those questions because those are lyrics in her songs, things that ring true that you know that you would be able to ask her and apply it to life. Right. And it's just, it would be a different conversation. So I would, I would challenge you to like seek that out. You know? Uh, well, as soon as this podcast gets produced, I will have you forward this to that gentleman who gave you all the merch. <laughs> It'll be our joint pitch. Uh, we love, love you, Taylor. <laughs> love it. I love it. I love it. Um, didn't see that one coming. Did not see, did not see that coming, but I love it. Um, and one of the reasons why I always love our conversations together. Um, so this is kind of this is kind of along the same vein that we were talking about um just as far as like what you know how to how to find inspiration when it gets tough right um but i think there's a there's this this underbelly of inspiration there is a bit of a dark side to it and there's people who inspire for a living and um when you're not feeling it like we know we know you know that there's tools and ways to set yourself up for success but at the end of the day there's also just there's just a part of being in it right. that you can't escape. Right. Okay. Um, this is it's challenging for me at times because I understand that I'm sort of an anomaly. The dark sides for me sometimes is that I feel so much and people reach out to me and sometimes I give, 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 and then I end up depleted. And then I have to find ways to inspire myself after giving so much inspiration to other people, right? Mm -hmm. And what is the inspiration that I give to other people? It's really about hope. It's really about faith. It's really about believing in yourself. It's really not about like not getting so consumed with the distractions of the world and allowing that to like take you off uh, course of doing what you're supposed to be doing. To me, it's very practical. I try not to like really dive into like the whole nuances of like, you know, brain and like, I, I don't, I don't get into all that. Like, you know, the NP, you know, the stuff that we, we, we know mm -hmm, about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for me, it's really about being more practical and taking some of those, those perspectives and dialing it down to make it fundamental for people to understand. Um, it's very, very, very easy in today's day and age to get, to get off your square because we do have so many distractions. The first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is what do we do? We grab this. We haven't even given ourselves the proper respect yet to even deal with us, to even take some time to meditate, to pray, to read, to stretch, to drink some water. You get caught up in everybody else's life first. You check on to see what everybody else is doing before mm. you even deal with yourself. And mm. I think that's, that's problem problematic too, as well. And I have a I have a script that I'm writing right now for the daily inspiration and it's, it's called uh, Win Die Morning. But winning die morning doesn't necessarily start in the morning. It starts at night. And it's really about you taking 15 minutes before you go to sleep to set your intention for the next day so that when you wake up, you are conscious about what the intent is for the day. You've already put a system together and a plan together in terms of what you're going to do for that day. So when you wake up, you're already in visualization mode. You're visualizing what this day is going to look like. And you're not leaving your day to randomness, right? You have a plan. So you're visualizing how you're going to see and get things done. And I think when you do that, now when things start to come your way, you've already visualized, like, I still have to get through through this day because I know what I'm supposed to be doing at certain times. That's why I really do love planners. Um, I love for, you know, if, if you have, like, people think it's, it's uh, what's the word? It's neurotic, 
but it's not neurotic to have a plan of what you need to be doing during mm-hmm. the course of the day. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. If you have to plan out the hour, plan out the hour. I promise you, when you plan your days, everything changes. And it's so routinely fundamental, but a lot of us don't do it enough. You know? It's it's um it's something I definitely rail against. Um I'm I'm the spontaneous friend, the down for whatever. And I like to see what happens in a lot of ways. And I I think it was when I when I stepped into a store manager role, I realized like, oh, you can't like, you can't like really roll the dice <laughs> and just like expect your three million dollar store to work. You've got to, you've got to sit where, down. Where, where are you a store manager at? Lululemon. Okay. Okay. Did you not know that about me? I didn't know it was Lululemon. That's, that's where I get all my good camo from. Uh. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I've turned into a Lulu person and a fab person. Oh, dude, Lulu. I, you know, I haven't tried fab just because I'm, I'm so loyal. I've put so much blood, sweat and tears and money into my, into my, my Lulu, but it's, I mean, it's, I just love anything that's like functional, innovative and looks good. Absolutely. And then bonus points if it feels good. I want to go back to the question that you asked me again. Ask me the question again. I want to make sure I really give you some substance. Um, yeah, I think, I think you're crushing it and it, it's just really kind of about that, that underbelly of inspiration, just knowing that it's, there is a dark side to like, you just, it's not possible to 100% be inspired all the time. And right. so what, you know, aside from the tools, right. Cause the tools help. There's also just this idea of like being able to sit with it and, and to, to feel the other side of it so that you know how to navigate back and know that it's okay to feel this way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reason I asked you that question, because I feel like I did it somewhat of a disservice in terms of it's important that you allow yourself to feel Mm -hmm. right. But, you know, but plan the pity party. And and like let the pity have the party. Have a pity party. The party's got to end. Got to end. The party's got to end. That's that's what it comes down to. It's creating space to have compassion to feel into what that is like because because I I personally believe when we compartmentalize when we don't process emotions that's what causes a lot of anxiety stress illness in the body um, so you have you have to feel it you have to be able to to find a way to be with it you just have to move yourself out of it too Absolutely. you have to be able to do that I've uh, I've been studying this exact thing and just studying from you know Christian preachers from uh, Muslim practices, from Buddhist practices, from, you know, the new woking, like spiritual practices, like enlightenment. And it's just been really interesting. And most, most people or most practices, should I say, are very adamant about allowing yourself to just be and just feel and just feel it. It's okay. And I think sometimes we think that that's the negative thing, you know, and that's not the case because you, in rare humanity, allowing yourself to feel, allowing yourself to process, but giving yourself that cutoff time, like we just said. And when you're in the midst of that, not going to grab a bag of potato chips and, you know, doing something, doing something that gets you off of what you're supposed to be doing. I think you should just really just stay present with that and let yourself be and let yourself feel and not subject yourself to doing something that you shouldn't be doing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Absolutely. 
what am I listening to right now? Like I'm listening to a lot. Like I'm, I take an hour out of my day right now to literally do nothing. And, and from a creative standpoint, see what the F is going on. I, I don't know if I can curse on here, but yeah, for sure. Okay. Fucking see, do it. <laughs> see what the fuck is going on um, in the world, because creatively that just kind of opens me up. It opens me up a little bit more because I'm so inundated into creating the show and writing scripts and doing research and being in the personal development space and entrepreneurship space. And so I pull myself out of that matrix and I go see kind of what the world is doing. And I get so much inspiration from people that are just doing like things. And I get so many messages that I use from people that I wouldn't expect to, to, to get messages from. Um, I got some, you know, I can't reveal it yet in terms of for the script, but I got messages from listening to Johnny Cash the other day, you know, like I get messages from all over the place. And, but my intent that I set when I, when I do that and I open myself up is just be open, you know? Yeah. And I keep using the word intent because I think one thing that I've learned as of recent is your intention matters and the boundaries that you set for your intention matters. And the intention that I've mm -hmm. set moving forward in my life right now is that we're in such trying times there. I mean, people are so confused. So many people are struggling. I mean, people are losing loved ones by the day and not just from COVID from natural causes. I mean, life still does go on. Um, you know, there's so much going on. So I'm just, I'm just challenging myself to not get suckered into any of that energy and to stay singular focused so that I can continue to do what I need to do. I love that. Um, intention is a big part of my life and kind of where I, you know, I set a yearly intention. <laughs> mm. Um, I, I, you know, whether it's through yoga, whether it's, um, in showing up, like how, how do I get to serve? How do I get to share? How do I get to explore? It's, it's it does. It's, um, that's actually one of the, one of my favorite things from Brendan's high performance habit book. Okay. Um, is his practice before anything that he does, like what, right. like anytime he's transitioning, he stops and he pauses and like, what's my intention here? Like, how do I want to show up? Like, and he even does it in like the smallest moments of like, okay, now I need to go respond to a few emails. What's my intention? And then it's like, okay, now I'm taking this call. What's my intention? And it's something that, um, I strive for, for sure. Right. And it's, it's hard to catch in every single moment, but the more intention that you can bring to something, the more you get out of it. Man, I love that dude, man. He's, uh, he's really changed my life for the better, you know? And, uh, sometimes, I mean, I always tell him like, I want to grow, I want to be like you. Like I strive mm -hmm. to be like you, you know, you're, you're a human being that gets it. You've been doing the work for 20 plus years. But your processes and the way that you think just is next level. And I'm always mm -hmm. just in complete gratitude with, with a lot of the things that he he does. So I'm glad we have that in common. I'm glad that's where we met. I yeah. know. Brendan Burchard mm -hmm. is the homie. He is so great. If you guys <laughs> if you guys need someone to to jazz you up, get you lit up and inspired, and um, he's a great place to start for yeah. sure. Um, let's I you know, doing the work doing the work. There's just no way around it. Nope. And it's like, once you, once it's not even give into that, but once you surrender to that and like choose to step into it and realize that the work can be really fulfilling and very rewarding and it's fucking tough. It's challenging. 
However, there's so much on the other side of that. And I think right now with where we're at as a nation, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. And, you know, I think the, the responsibility of that work is on white people right now. It's really helping how, how are we, you know, we were talking about this earlier. Are you willing to like go inside and like sit down with yourself and like, what part am I playing in this? Like where, what do I have to learn? What do I have to understand about myself? What do I need to unlearn? Um, How, how are you feeling right now in this, and kind of everything that's happening, what you're seeing and, and, and where we need to go from here. (laughs) (laughs) Do we need another hour? (laughs) Yeah, that's tough. It's tough. It's tough in the sense where uh, fundamentally it's it's very disturbing. I'll say that, you know, it's it's very disturbing to see uh, the responses in response to um, our current leader. And a lot of the things that he says um, and does, like even just, man, going back to this, um, it was so sad that George Floyd had to die. But damn, did it not showcase Mm. things that we have, we as an African-American man, things that I've been dealing with my whole life. Mm-hmm. I, I told people like, listen, I feel like I've been in a pandemic my whole life because if I leave out of my house, I'm not sure if I'm going to come back. You know, mm-hmm. um, you get pulled over by the cops like there's just certain things that you just know to do and not to do when you get pulled over by the cops. You know, I've been pulled over by the cops and the first question they asked me, guns drawn, come straight to the car. I'm in Beverly Hills. I drive a Prius. And you pull me over, guns drawn. Have you ever been to jail? I mean, I'm damn near about to wet my pants or shit on myself because I don't know if I'm about to die. Why do you have the guns drawn on me? And why are you asking me if I've ever been to jail? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Growing up in Alabama, racism was a lot of my inspiration, too, as well, because I, I realized that like life couldn't really be like this. And all over. I, just, I knew I knew the space that I was in. My pericope was my pericope. I knew it wasn't just this. What I want people to get from this, listen, you know, my family is very mixed. There is racism has never been taught. Growing up in Alabama, it was tough, very conservative. And the thing that really bothers me today is that as I look back in this all, The thing that we deny the most is that we don't consider racism to be a national threat to security. Mm -hmm. Like it is, it it, it is. There are hate groups that strategically have been formed to do so. When you look at how this country was created, man, like like the simplistic way without going into all the historical context. Black people were brought over here as slaves. We were once considered to be two thirds of a human. Hmm. The fight and push for equality has been tough. It's been a very challenging one. And I think the, the, the thing that hurts the most is that we are just fighting to just be considered to be a human being. 
Like, let's just, can we just be a human being? Like, can we, and people who are so programmed and conditioned to think, to act a certain way, because racism is taught. It's taught. And if you never get yourself or take yourself out of your bubble, it's very tough to really truly understand how a person like me feels. Because to sit here and say that black people aren't racist is not true. But I feel like black people's racism is in response to, to actual racism that's been placed for. Like, you hate me because I'm black. I, I say hate, you dislike me because I'm black. I dislike you because you dislike me because I'm black and it shouldn't be that way. Mm -hmm. There is a, like this conversation is so big and it's like at the end of the day, we're missing love and it's very hard to say that you love God, but you hate black people or you're like, it just doesn't, it doesn't align with me. You know, to a lot of the people in the South who profess to love God, like I'm a Christian. Okay, well, there's a difference in between being a Christian and practicing Christianity. You go to church on Sundays, you profess God, you profess your love for God. And this is the environment that I grew up in. But then as soon as you get out of there, like you're you're hating me because of the color of my skin. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think oh, so much. So much yeah. there and like yeah it's just you know i don't think any conversation is going to any one conversation will ever fully do it justice there's um there is a video of a princeton professor eddie gold gould going yeah. around right now uh mm -hmm. that i think you know is really 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 good um to watch it gives some interesting perspective and that, you know, a lot of America's a little bit shocked at the results right now or that it's so close. And it's like, no, actually, this is this is just who we are. And we've never had the balls to, like, really look at ourselves and, like, how we're showing up for each other or not, at, you know. And um, I think when when George Floyd was murdered, um, I I woke the fuck up in a way that I, I didn't see coming and, you know, growing up in a diverse neighborhood, having lots of, um, cross cross racial relationships. I, I kind of, Oh, I'm already anti-racist. I'm cool. Like I'm not, I'm definitely not racist. Yeah. And, um, the amount of work that I've put into like actually being anti-racist in the last six months is, is substantial because I didn't realize. And I, I think there's a ton of white people out there that don't realize the subconscious like patterning that is happening for them that has been passed down from generation to generation yeah. that exists, that keeps you blind to privilege. It keeps you blind to the idea that white supremacy is even still a thing and still happening, right? right? Like the, the entire system is designed to keep us ignorant to it right. because that's how it stays in place. And so, um, you know, really, really thinking about how we dismantle this as a society, it's going to take white people really choosing to take it on and, and, and dismantle some 
long-standing systems in their head that keep them there and have the courage to look and have the courage to be wrong and have the discipline to do something every day like put 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 yourself in someone else's shoes like actively seek every day to think about what it would be like if you were black and got a, a gun drawn as you are in your Prius in Hollywood or if you are brown and are getting you know denied access to like fundamental things or if you're gay and someone's telling you that you can't get married because of who you love like these are just oh i'm getting so sweaty over here right now (laughs) it's just so wild to me that people haven't really stopped to take some time like you have to you have to make time and space for it you have to and and the the burden at this point and it has always been but is is on white folks to really wake the fuck up and start start really taking a look at the the game that we're in and and decide like at least consciously make it like i guess my frustration with where we're at as a society right now is i think that there's a, a big group of unconscious white people that don't get what's going on i think there is a group of people who have been doing work and i think there are a group of people that like it that way and don't ever want it to change and will actively keep it i'm not i'm not trying to fuck with those people to be honest like that's not my bag but to the people who haven't who have considered that they don't need to because it doesn't impact them or i you know i'm not racist or mm-hmm. you know this is not really i there's no, nothing i'm going to do is going to change this or Um, you know, I don't even know any black people or whatever. There's this, there's this middle group that I feel like really needs to understand the responsibility that they have in, in just staying complicit and brushing it off. Right. A lot of my white friends at the time when all this happened, exactly what you're, what you're saying, like they, I even hate saying white friends, black friends. It just I know, it just I know. Bothers, it bothers know. me. Um, but I will say a lot of my white friends who, when this first happened, I think you, you and I had some conversation too as well, but the lack of understanding, like my friends, like I had one friend in particular, like call me crying, like not realizing until George Floyd died how he had always utilized his privilege for gain and didn't even understand. Like he, he just didn't understand like at the end of the day, how racist the system was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, think about this. Let's just put this in the simple context. The system was created and it took 400 years or so for it to be challenged and to be broken. I'm sorry, to be amended. Uh, I think you're being very generous over there. Because at the end of the day, the system was never broken. Right. Exactly. It was it's never still broken. in place. It's still it, intact. It was never right from the beginning. It wasn't broken. It was never correct from the beginning. Mm-hmm. My grandparents. I mean, we're, we're in a time where we're 60 years removed from where black people didn't even have the right to vote. That's my grandparents. Mm-hmm. they're still living mm-hmm. think about that like you couldn't vote that is so crazy to me mm-hmm. when it comes to race it's a very heavy topic and there's a lot of different ways that you can go but it has to be it has to start with individuals like you and I having conversation that's uncomfortable so that we can open up and people can hear different sides 
because what's interesting when it comes to race, you and I could both be looking at the same wall, white wall, and we're going to have two totally different perspectives as human beings. Yes. Right. But when you you take if you're looking at these two white walls and you have this perspective and what you see and I have this perspective on what I see. What I see is deeply rooted into my programming and my conditioning and the things that I've been exposed to in my experience. So then we have to say, okay, you see this, I see this. Now let's turn to each other and let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do that, that's when things begin to change. That's why I posted on my Facebook, why are we so divided in 2020? And I see people looking at the wall, having two totally different perspectives, right? And getting frustrated at each other but not turning the conversation to say, okay, so how do we foster so that you're on this side, you see this, I see this. Now, what you see and what I see is completely different, but how do we come together to to, to draw some sort of mutual understanding? And I think that's important. So that's what I'm really focused on. And that's the things that I strive to do more of because I realize that so many of my white friends really truly just don't understand what it's like to be black and they will never understand. Mm-hmm. But if I open up and have more conversation and dialogue, because black people for essentially like we're born into a white world, mm-hmm. we have to learn how to adapt. If you think about it, when this when this shit happened with George Floyd, there was a movement of white people saying, yo, like, OK, so what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And black people's response was like frustration. Like, what do you mean? You see what the F is going on. Just jump on the train. Like, we don't have time to give you the plan and the structure and this and this and that. And that's very interesting because there's such a disconnect from black culture, our culture, society. Like, it's completely like segregated. <laughs> pun, in, pun intended yeah. pun intended <laughs> it's completely segregated like we're born into white culture but white culture isn't doesn't understand black culture mm-hmm. and it's interesting when i even think about hip-hop and how you know you go to concerts and you see you know majority white kids and they're saying the n-word and it's not even about that i feel like hip-hop has done more for i think hip-hop has done a lot for race relations that we don't even truly understand and it's so interesting to see people that are not of color embrace the struggle. And it's something unique because they see the struggle, they feel the struggle, but they see like the aspiration and the inspiration in terms of like us coming from nothing, going to something. And the things that we glorify sometimes can be deemed as why are you glorifying that? And it's like, no, it's a celebration because I've been at the bottom for so long. Like, I'm just happy to be in a place of here. Because I was told I could never get to here. And I think people, they see that. The kids see that. And they take in that energy. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, what, what, what's this life that you all told me about? Like, that's not what this is about. Like, these people are great. Like, I want to be like these people. And it's just so interesting to me. There is... I like don't even know if I should like say this on like recording. Does that make sense though? Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So there, um, there is a conspiracy theory, which I am all for a good conspiracy theory. Um, (laughs) there is one, um, about the music industry that happened back in like the late 80s, early 90s, where, um, the music industry, like hip hop was on the rise. And I would, for me, there's a difference between hip hop and rap. Um, 
and I would say that rap music was on the rise and that there was a distinct conversation um, with music executives to force rap to be mainstream and really kind of push hip hop out of the way mm. and um, let rap be the governing message to help with, I'm going to use the air quotes, population control and with subconscious messaging and glorifying, glorifying things that will keep keep a population in their place so to speak sure, for sure and and i just i've tried to find like i remember reading this on the internet probably a decade ago and i've gone back trying to find and it's like there's like i can't find anything about this anymore so now i'm like really a true conspiracy theorist spreading this around but i like i think that there is yeah there is truth to that there is there's got to be so, like i don't know I'm going to stop talking. There's got, there's <laughs> have you heard, have you heard about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, for sure, for sure. I mean, that's, that's the same time as the, so if you, if you go back and like, um, when NWA and all of those were coming out, like at that time, because they were like really speaking to when they said, make that song, fuck the police. Like there was so many layers to that. And so mm -hmm. like the industry was like, Oh shit. Like, Oh, wait, if we allow them to get too much power, it's the same thing with Martin Luther King. Like if we allow them to have too much power and be too woke and have too much information, it's going to mess up the money. It's going to mess up the system. Mm -hmm. So we have to mm -hmm. find a way to like change this so they don't become so powerful. And that was strategic. So there's a lot of books. There's a lot of documentaries and things that, you know, KRS-One and Chuck D and people like them, they, you know, Ice Cube, they're very adamant about, uh, you know, talking about things that were going on during that time. And even two live crew, you know, um, they won. Like, I think I forgot what they won. They won something in the federal courts in Miami. And I can't remember exactly what it was. But yeah, I agree. Maybe one you. day, when, maybe one day my podcast will get big enough and I'll have a fact checker for us and go run <laughs> off and, and bring back fun facts. No, you bring up so much <laughs> stuff and it's stretching me because like, I'm, I mean, I'm just, you're, you're spot on or you're definitely spot on. I, I just can't remember. I don't have any substance right now to give to you some of my problems. Well, no, it's, it's, I think like the, the bigger idea for me that I've really been exploring is that a, so, you know, what I do one-on-one -on -one with clients is really help them identify thought patterns, um, shift them, shift that narrative in their head so that they can step into a different reality for themselves. Right. And, teach them a system on how to do this based in vision and goals. And in, in having my own system been doing that for so long, uh, now as I'm like adding on the, the responsibility of deconstructing white supremacy and, and privilege and all of these things, it's like, I'm seeing these correlations that we, that as, as two different groups of people, we have these like collective mindsets, right? Like the black community has their mindset, white community has their mindset, and it's those mindsets with their, if they're just left to their own devices are what's creating a lot of what's happening here in the, in, in our country. And it's our responsibility just as humans, like we, this kind of coming full circle back to what we talked about at the beginning of this, this episode is like, it's your responsibility to sit down with yourself and like, where am I at on this? Like, what are my values? What am I really start to think and pull back some of your own layers. Like, what am I, what, what thoughts am I listening to in my head that actually don't serve me or what I want to get up to in life or mm -hmm. the part that I'm playing in, in my community or, 
it, it comes back to that personal responsibility to really do some delayering and understand. I think the, the one other thing I'll say is like, I see a lot of shaming and blaming in this happening, which is, I think, just supernatural function of being a human being. Um, and it just doesn't fucking help. <laughs> like, it it's like, do what? No, I said it doesn't. It, it doesn't, it doesn't help. You know, it, it, it pushes people back into the, like, well, if this is going to be that uncomfortable and like, I'm going to get called out, like that's going to push people back into their safety blanket of like, well, this is just, you know, yeah. so I think I really caution people as you're out there learning, as you're out there speaking and having conversations and like really try and stay away from like the shame of this. Or, you know, I think white, white women are getting, getting, lashed out there right now and it and you know the um let's see i think it's like 55 percent voted for trump and and it's a it's definitely not a proud statistic that um i want to rep for for my specific demographic and it's eye-opening and but but are they voting because that's what their husbands told them to do and that's where they're I think that I think that's a big big part of it because of the Christian community I so my grandfather's a pastor yeah um and I grew up in the the Nazarene faith going to church three times a week and it was a very submissive culture (laughs) very submissive like it is the husband who's making decisions and as a wife your job is to get on board with that and serve him. And so I, I do think that that is a big part of what's happening. Um, it was the same thing for with Hillary, you know, like, mm-hmm. no, you're not voting for a woman. You vote for a man. You know, it was so interesting to me with Hillary, like you're talking about some emails versus a man that grabbed her by the, you know, and I'm just kind of like, mm-hmm. really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you would choose to still vote for a man morally. Okay. Got it. That's, that's one of the biggest mind fucks for me in this whole situation is how such an obviously morally off person has mobilized the Christian base. Wild. Absolutely wild. But, but in the midst you know. of all of that, though, the women's movement like grew so much from that, from mm. him getting elected. I don't know if the Me Too and all of that would have been what it is if it was if it weren't for him getting elected. If Hillary would have gotten elected, I'm not sure that that would have been the same thing. I think we'd have Absolutely. had traditional methods and politics and ways. And I don't think the women's movement would have become what it is if it weren't for that. It would have been maybe later on down the road. But specifically Trump, man, it it took that to another level. And we can't deny that. Right. And I, I'd say the same thing for Black Lives Matter. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I think that while it's easy to point a finger at Trump and blame him for this, he's not the cause. He is simply the representation, the manifestation, the, the manifestation, manifestation of, yeah. of who we are as a nation that's really coming to light and we're having to look at and we're having to deal with. And or and the I, continuation, <laughs> the continuation that's really just putting it all out there. Right. Um, and, and I, I do fear that, you know, if we, if we do get Biden, like, I don't want people to go back to sleep on any of this shit and think that yeah. just that it was just a Trump thing. Cause it's not at all. And so, so I want to, I want to, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think that's really important because you said you don't want people to go to sleep, man. We live in a microwave society and 
we consume so much information. And wait, 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 say that again. We live in a what society? A microwave society. A microwave society. We live in the instantaneous, like we want everything now. We have access to information at the disposal of our fingertips. I grew up, I'm 37. I was a part of the encyclopedia. I was before cable television. I was before the cell phone. So things were a little bit longer and delayed. Now it's instant, you know? So we get our information instantly. You can go and put in who was the first president in 1937 or who was like, like who was the president during 1937 or what happened in 1937 as it relates to this particular event. And you can have it right then and there. Mm -hmm. That is uh, destructive as great as it is, you know, constructive, right? Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, because we can, we get so much information. My concern is that when Black Lives Matter happens, when when the person dies, my anticipation is that I'm just waiting for another person to die, and I hope and pray it's not me. I hope and pray it's not mm -hmm. a family member. And so what happens is the emotions are flooded socially. We do this for a couple of days, a few weeks, and then we fucking go on about our lives because new information, new things come about and we don't sustain the energy and the emotions and things that we're dealing with at that particular point in time. What's very interesting to me is that sometimes I feel as if whoever's making these decisions, and I don't wanna go down to conspiracy theories, but I feel as if sometimes it's like, the only thing they're gonna do is cry out on social media for a little bit, put this person on a t-shirt, and then move on because we would rather be entertained or we'd rather just go back to our regular scheduled programming. Or we've dealt with so much shit in our life that we're just, we accept the fact that that's just another one, you know? And I don't think, I'm glad to see more black people starting to go towards therapy and do more therapy because traumatically, like the things that we've endured, that shit still lingers in our DNA and we haven't dealt with it. Mm -hmm. So at times you can be tripping and not even realize that you're tripping, but it could have had, it could have been something a hundred years ago that somebody didn't deal with. And now you're dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So it's important as a human being, no matter your white, black, brown, no matter what, you got to deal with your trauma because that shit is generational. It's in your DNA. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you think about the trauma of a hundred years ago, listen, somebody could have been getting raped. And I think about the black woman in this particular instance. The black woman had to, she was raped by the slave master. She had to take care of the slave master's kids. She had to cook and clean. She had to go work in the field. She had to take care of her own kids. She had to watch her husband potentially get beat or killed. When you think of all of that, and you think of that trauma and you're just told to deal with it. So a lot of times these days, black people's therapy has been the church. Like we turn the spiritual route because the one thing that we were given during those times was the church. But we were also told that slavery was an act of God and certain elements of the Bible were removed to keep us enslaved, to make us feel as if this was an act of God. With that being said, if you subject yourself to that thought and then you just rely on 
the church, which we didn't have access to the information of therapy at that particular point in time, it can be very, very, very bad for us because we don't deal with our stuff. We're just told to just lean on God or turn to the church and know we really need help amongst the many things that we constantly have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So think about the things that the woman had to deal with. Think about how that trauma lingers. Think about if you don't deal with that. It's deep. It's real deep. <laughs> I know it's, 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 be, it's beyond deep. And I think like the resiliency and the strength and just the sheer, like, like I'm in sheer awe of the black community that like, <laughs> of how far you guys have come because like, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And it's extremely valid what you're talking about right now. There's, um, Mark Groves has a podcast and he has um, an episode about generational trauma. And it's, you know, for, for those of you listening who don't understand maybe what we're talking about, um, I encourage you to do some research on it because it's, it's real and you're being impacted by it. And I think exactly what you're saying here, like understand like where we were just even 60 years ago, much less all of the trauma that people have endured over the last 400 years to build this nation and to turn a like once you start peeling back the layers it's really hard to turn a blind eye to that unless like you're just a terrible person (laughs) so here's the the thing you talk about 60 years ago martin luther king died a broke man and a broken man he was not even loved by black people when he died he didn't even have the money to bury himself. His family didn't even have the money. Harry Belafonte had to pay for Martin Luther King's funeral. With that being said, I believe Martin Luther King grew very weary because he understood like the true way of change was moving from the poor people's movement to economic prosperity. And as soon as he made that change, he ended up dying. I bring that up to say that it's very interesting that one of the most beloved people in the world that we that fought for black people is one of the most quoted people in the world today, but wasn't even loved at the time of his death. Mm. That's interesting. So I flip that to say that, damn, the person that stood up for black people wasn't even loved by black people. And as soon as he got access to the information of, well, let me turn and let me start focusing on economic freedom, it seems like when that's when white people said, no, 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 no. He's, he's getting too big. His movements are too big. Now he's talking about economic empowerment. Ugh. Mm. It's just so interesting. So it's like, those are the conversations and things that like I love talking about because that's the truth. And so it's, it always it always gives so perspective. So it's not just about black and white. It's talking about how blacks not liking blacks, how things just really like if you're talking about this life that we're living in right now, things haven't always been the way that they are. And and everything that you see, there's always a story to it. I live in Hollywood. I've worked in television. I realize everything that you see is always important for you to do the research is everything that you see that's presented to you is most of the time not 
Not as it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Phew. Yeah, we could go on all day. We could. I I get it. I'll Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say this to you. For your listeners, um, I just want to be completely transparent. When we got on, before we got on, it was a conversation with us about setting our intention, understanding who your audience is, what you want from this show, who you are as a person, what you really want to do. And I just want to say, listen, at the end of the day, the great thing about life is that we're not always going to agree. You know, mm-hmm. we're not always going to agree. And I'm not talking specifically about you and I, but yeah, you and I are not going to always agree. Everybody just doesn't always agree on everything. But the beauty in life is that you have a responsibility to yourself and to humanity to number one, love. And number two, communicate. And when we communicate and when we share our ideas, our best practices, our experiences, that allows us to be more diverse than I thought. That allows us to be more a diverse universe. That allows us to come together and create a more beautiful world. And so for individuals like you who've created this platform, even asking yourself, man, how do I go? How do I do this? How do I do this? Should I be doing this? Should I be saying this? I know what some of my people I know some who I know some of the people that potentially may be listening to this. And I want to make sure that I'm just being responsible and creating a good platform. And I'm like, yo, just share your truth. Just be who you are, because you, Sheena, are a good person at your core. You're a great person. You're an amazing person. So when you're that person and you are who you are, people are going to get frustrated. People are not going to like some of the things I say, you say that is perfectly okay because your intention is to make sure that you educate, enlighten inspire and somewhat entertain people mm-hmm. and because you live by that that's your mantra so to speak in a very non-scripted way um continue doing what you're doing continue to be the beacon of light for people that you are continue putting in the work that you're doing because i see it and i know it's tough and i know it's challenging and people don't understand the work that you put into your life to just be the human being that you are and you have a responsibility to humanity right because you are actually taking the the things that you've learned to do the work that you've done to now give that to other people to help enlighten them. Yo, that shit is heavy. That shit is heavy. You know, that is a lot. And then you have to create these borders and these boundaries so that you don't get so suckered into your client emotionally and what they have going on to keep yourself full and that your cup is, is, is full. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for creating this platform. Continue to serve. Continue to do the things that you're doing. I'm always here for you. A lot of love for you. And uh, yeah. Thank you. Two questions before we're done here. One, what are you listening to like right now? Like if I went on Spotify and hit play, what's what's bumping? It's interesting. I don't even have a Spotify account. What? Yeah, so... Oh, well, I'm lying. I do have a Spotify account. I just don't stream from Spotify. Okay. Okay. I am so, a, I'm a loyal Jay-Z fan. Okay. Okay. So I have title. So I support okay. title. Love it. Love it. What am I listening to? I go as of late. I've been going back and forth between Kanye's Jesus is King and, uh, Nipsey Hussle's uh, uh, last album, the marathon. Mm. 
Nice. Yeah. Have you listened to the um, Big Sean's latest album? I did. I just not know, I just, into I, it. I just worked with him recently. I, I I listened to a few tracks. Where can people find you? Ooh, I'm everywhere. Everywhere at BJ the Dreamer, except for my LinkedIn. You search Brian Johnson, you'll find me in some capacity. But YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, everything's at BJ the Dreamer. So and where when let's say when when is your daily inspiration show dropping so right now i am very excited tentatively scheduled for uh november the 23rd but it may be uh december the 30th i'm sorry november the 30th so we're just making that decision this week bj the dreamer yes yes Yes, ma'am as we say in alabama yes ma'am Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I don't know how much I like that. I like the manners. I just don't like the way how old it makes me feel. So I have a celebrity quick story. Okay. Uh, I cannot say her name, but I was working on the show and I said yes, ma'am to her. She lost it. Lost her shit. Uh, she lost her shit. She wanted the executive producer immediately. Her publicist was like, knew that she was overreacting. We had to get the executive producer. He just thought it was just like crazy that she was flipping out. And so I explained to our publicist, I was like, can you ask her, like, let me just have five minutes with her. And the truth of the matter is she's older. She was probably, she was in the 60s probably at the time. I was 30, 31. And uh, I said, uh, listen, the way that I was raised, the way that I was brought up, if I didn't respect, you know, women, Men, like, respectfully, I know you're older than me. I am not trying to call you old. That is just the way that I was brought up. I say, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. That's just who I am. I'm sorry. I'm extremely apologetic. I have a lot of respect for you. So please don't take it in that kind of way. And we just had a conversation and she broke down crying and she had just had a long day. She had a lot going on. And, you know, anything about Hollywood people don't want to get old like so many people i've no, processed like the curse it was the curse like i've processed so much paperwork of entertainers and celebrities who i see their real name i see their birthday and i'm just like wait a minute wait <laughs> that that's not what that's you tell everybody that's not what's really going on here so okay so bj the yes. last question that I ask every guest on my show, um, I have a gratitude practice where I think of three things, specific things that I'm grateful for each night as I'm falling asleep. And I'm going to not make you th- come up with three, but I'd love to hear one thing that you're specifically grateful for in the last 24 hours. This may seem really basic to a lot of people, but I am grateful for life. I am grateful for the opportunity to wake up every single day. Um, and it's something that I've been driving home a lot to people that I talk to because for a moment I struggle with the fact of dying because I love living so much. Like I truly love living. And I think it's such a blessing and we take for granted the amount of people who actually die and pass away in their sleep. I had a friend of mine from college. Um, he was 36, 37, didn't drink, didn't smoke, in great shape, ripped, just died in the sleep, you oh. know, just died from a heart attack, just died in his sleep. No issues, no nothing, just died. So they say sleep is the cousin of death. And honestly, when you go to sleep, we just lay down and take it for granted that we're just going to wake up the next day. Mm -hmm. We just don't know. So I'm most grateful 
for number one, having that perspective. Number two, being able to live every single day, because even if I didn't get something right today, the blessing is that hopefully I get a chance to make that up for the next day. So I'm just grateful for life. I'm grateful to be alive, um, especially in the midst of everything we've had to deal with. And, you know, over the last you know, nine, 10 months or seven months, eight months, whatever it is, I'm just grateful for life. I'm just I'm truly grateful to smile. I'm just grateful for life, all aspects of that that come with it, to have great friends like you, to be healthy, um, for perspective. I'm just grateful, truly grateful. I'm truly grateful that you're alive and I'm very grateful for your smile. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where can, where can people find you if they want to get in touch? What's coming up next for you? Give us all the goods. I'm very simple. Everything is at BJ the Dreamer, unless you're looking for my LinkedIn, then that's Brian D. Johnson, um, which is also my penmanship name, too, for everything that I write. Um, okay. Everything is at BJ the Dreamer. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at BJ the Dreamer. Very simple. Love consistency. Uh, pretty much. What's coming up for me is, number one, systematizing my business removing myself from the rat race and doing so much. Um, I cannot continue to do and be in my, be as involved in my business. So systematizing and automating and create systems. Um, that's one thing that I'm really doing and bringing on um, and onboarding some of my first hires. So that's like ex- really, really, really uh, excited for that. And then just the daily inspiration, the daily inspiration a large part of my business is the bestseller accelerator. So that's, there's three different, well, two tenets to that right now. The bestseller, um, the bestselling book, book writing accelerator. Yeah. So cool. one phase of that is a course. So it's a 90 day course that you take. And then the second phase of that is a, a done for you uh, service where we actually do your book and take you from blank page to finished product. So. Y'all have book writing goals. BJ's your dude. It's it's happening. And it's, you know, people are getting their books done, man. It's so, it's so interesting for people, the perspective of why people don't write their books. People think they have to have the, they have to be famous or Mm. they have to have the biggest list, social media list. They think they have to be rich. They, you know, they think they have to be all of these things. Like they feel like they're too old or they don't have enough time. It's like, you got all these hurdles and mental blocks that prevents you from doing the thing. And we take for granted that we're going to be able to live the next day. So it's like, mm-hmm. no. And you've heard this a lot of times. Yeah. Some of the most successful ideas are where? Right here now. Mm-mm. In the graveyard. In the graveyard. I don't think I have heard this. So many people die with so many ideas and uh, dreams and goals that they never fulfill. Mm. They never took action on. Mm. Yeah. So it's like the graveyard. The whole thing is like the graveyard is filled with these ideas and goals and dreams that people never acted on because you never really know. People keep saying, I'll do that one day. And one day is not a fucking day of the week. No. Someday is not what it is. Mm-mm. Make one no. day happen, y'all. Yes. DJ. Did, you see, did you see what we did there? Did you see, see what, what we did there? there? Yeah, that was perfect. Thank you great- so, so much. I am wildly grateful for you friend and appreciate your time today and i know we dropped a lot on these folks if you guys have questions when i reach out just please do thank you it's an honor bye bye and that's a wrap 
We want to hear from you guys. So tag at make one day happen on Instagram and share your biggest aha moment or one thing you can take from this episode and put into action today. If you're ready to go to the next level, I'm currently taking on new one-on-one coaching and team development clients. Head over to www.makeonedayhappen.com to learn more and book a free breakthrough session with me. Your word of mouth is wildly appreciated in helping us share these conversations with the world. I get so many of my podcasts I listen to for my friends' recommendations. So if anything resonated with you today, send it to someone else who you think would like it too. I know that every podcast out there asks you to subscribe and leave a review, and that's because it really helps us get these shows out there. So please go hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. Every other week, we'll pick our favorite review and hook that person up with a three full-size Lost Range products and a Make One Day Happen goal setting kit. A big thank you to Lost Range. Remember to head over to www.lostrangecbd.com and use code Make One Day Happen for free prezies and we'll give 10% of your purchase to Last Prisoner Project. We know you've got a lot of choices when it comes to picking a podcast out there to listen to, so we're so grateful you chose us. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.